The Damn Podcast is brought to you by the Influential Grooming Lounge. It's more than just a barbershop. It's where influencers elevate each other and the community meets. Welcome everybody to another episode of The Damn Podcast with your hosts Marcus Greaves and Angie Machado. Angie, it's been a week. We took a week off, which I didn't know we were doing, but we did. <laughs> That's okay. You were out of town, and then I was out of town. So, um, no, we are both back. We're did back. you do anything fun when you're out of town? Absolutely not. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I went to some sunshine. I, I hit Palm Springs for a couple of days, and um, shout out to Sun Country Airlines. Holy yeah. cow. They uh, new direct service to Palm Springs, and we had like $77 flights round trip in and out of Palm Springs. Huh. That's weird that I wasn't invited, but that's all right. I'll, uh, next time, Marcus, next time. <laughs> I guess I'll get over that. Uh, Angie. It's like recruiting season. As you know, I'm uh, I'm not super big on recruiting, but we were talking about this off air. For those of you that have been listening throughout the season, you guys know for a fact that I was not, like I'm just not a big fan of the whole recruiting thing now, and I feel like it's changed so much, and it's like a lot of social media stuff. But Angie, we were already talking about this. I kind of feel like this is the first sign of me getting old because I feel like I'm like them darn whippersnappers on their Get social, off my lawn. yeah, on their social media, posting their videos, talking about whatever they're gonna release their top five. And I was thinking, I was like, dang, like this is the first sign of me getting old, and I, I'm only 23. I can't do this, <laughs> but it's all right. I'll get over it. I, I'm starting to open my eyes more to the recruiting and understand that sometimes you just have to adjust. This is how it is now. And uh, but let's break down some kind of some guys that we already have, Angie. And I think this is obviously more of an episode where you can break it down for me as well because <laughs> I've, I've done some recruiting breakdowns on Blitz, but I haven't really, you know, went in depth like you have. Uh, so, Angie, you can kind of just take off with it. If you want to talk about more of guys that you think that are going to come in and play right away and make instant impacts, we can certainly start with that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's I'm glad to hear you're finally starting to like recruiting or be a little bit interested because it is fun and it has changed a lot. I've I've been doing this now, gosh, I think it's my 12th year. That's crazy. I'm getting old. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's changed a ton. So, um, you know, looking at the list right now, I, I know it's it's interesting. People have had questions about how many more, you know, they think there's still like 11. Right now, Oregon State sitting with 14 commits, um, thinking that, you know, 11 more to get to the 25, but they're forgetting there's a, there's a gray shirt and Josh Gray coming in that puts you at 15. Then you have um, Josh Bocut coming back from a mission that puts you at 16. And then you have some of those, those recruits that came in the transfers that will count against the 2019 class as well. So, you know, you, we, we're going to say might right now, I, I don't have the hard count just because it's really convoluted and Oregon State has an entire compliance department that handles all this, but Right now, as of um, where we sit, I only see Oregon State having about four to five additional scholarships left to fill. So, um, you know, at one point, I think a lot of people were excited that we'd have maybe half the class filled with the early signing period and then another half of the class to go. It's going to not be potentially as um, dramatic of a January as as some thought originally. So, um they're addressing these. And I, and I also then looking at those last remaining four to five commits or, or spots available, I think they're going to go to offensive and defensive linemen. And obviously that is a, a point that um, the Beavers need to, to fill and, and to improve upon. But just looking at the, the commit list or the 14 that Oregon State has right now, there's a few guys, you know, honestly, I think could come in and play immediately and really, really kind of set the tone early. Um, I, I love Evan Bennett, the D tackle out of uh, matter day down in orange County. Yeah, That kid and, is, uh, that kid is, I just like his intensity. I like the fact yeah. that he just wants to get to the quarterback any way he can. Cause I don't know if Oregon state's really had that in quite some time. Just a guy who's, who's going to come out and like give basically his all every single play to, I mean, at least stop it or at least try to stop it. So didn't mean to interrupt. I just I remember watching his film and I was like, yeah. this is exactly what Oregon State needs. Well, and, you know, he's a D tackle. He's listed at six three three fifteen, and there has been a rate, an ongoing debate on Beaver Blitz about his size because you know he, he posted a picture when coach uh, the coaches were down for an in home visit this past week, and you know people are really concerned that he's lost weight or he's not big enough. I mean, the kid he plays in the toughest division in Southern California. I don't know if you you probably did watch the video of of him basically pancaking guys at St. John Bosco, which right. 
is one of the top programs in the entire nation. So um, this guy is going to come in. He's coming in in January. So he will have an entire, you know, six months, nine months, I guess, until fall camp starts um, or eight months to really come in, work with the wait staff, the training tables, all of that. The other one I'm super excited about, and it's a, it's a new commit, is the D-tackle from Laney College in Oakland, Jordan Whitley. That kid is ginormous. Yeah, he is. That guy is huge. And Angie, I mean, we both I mean, we both know the biggest thing, at least for me, I would say, is if we can get defensive linemen right away to come in on top of those uh, transfers that we have, and hopefully they pan out as well, I mean, the defense, I'm not going to, obviously, it's too early to tell. I'm not going to say they're going to come in and obviously flip the switch and be top of the conference. But, I mean, with pieces like that, you have a chance to be, which isn't, I mean, it's not hard to do, but be a lot better than the, or I mean, at least the defense was this last season. Yeah, especially in the middle. You know, you look at, at those two guys at tackle um, coming in. I also really think, I mean, you, you look at Omar Spates. He had kind of a quiet year since he transferred from Pennsylvania to Oregon. He played at Crescent Valley, but had a, an ankle injury that kind of sidelined him part of the year. But that guy, I mean, he was aggressive, number one recruit out of Pennsylvania before he moved as a defensive end. And uh, Oregon State likes him as an inside linebacker. Um, he can come in. He's aggressive. He has great hands and great lateral lateral movement. So um, put him in the middle. I, I just think this that front seven is going to look so completely different for Oregon State this next year. Um, and there are going to be some new guys, some guys that are coming in early to, to make an impact. Right. And if we if Oregon State can get guys that come in right away and make an impact, and maybe some people, I know this is always an ongoing debate. If you take what people call the quote unquote JUCO route, right? You just basically stack up on juco guys or guys that basically come in and play right away and i know that's not the case here but just in general when you get guys who can come in and play right away i mean it makes such a big impact because like we always say washington state used to be really bad and i think mike mike leach did a great job of his recruiting because pullman and corvallis i've been to both places obviously i'm going to be biased to say corvallis is better because pullman is just horrible to me but i mean (laughs) Washington State has done a great job recruiting. Obviously, it's winning games, but it's finding guys who can come in and make instant impacts that have really put them over the top. And really, that's, I mean, that's what flipped their program, to be honest. Well, and it gives the, the guys, the prep guys that maybe need some more time developing to have that time. You know, it's, Washington State isn't getting the guys that, you know, a USC or a UCLA or some of the top tier programs in the country are getting. But it gives those guys time to develop whether it be a year or two in the system, to have some guys, the JUCOs, that kind of can plug holes and, and fit, fill, fill needs that need instant, instant filled. Right, and I mean, besides inside, I mean besides defensively, I would say, I mean, defensively we know that's the biggest thing that they need to work on because that defense, as we already said, is borderline terrible. I mean, it is terrible, not borderline. But, <laughs> borderline? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, never mind, not borderline terrible. It's, it's horrific. But – uh. If you like, if we could just, and that's what we were saying earlier, Angie, in the season, is that if the defense could just play, it sounds horrible, but if they could just play bad, right? If they just played bad, I think Oregon State probably could have walked away with a couple more wins because they there's games where they, you know, they're going toe to toe scoring, but the defense just, they just didn't do it. They didn't do enough and they played horrible, but that's why I was saying if they can just play bad. So, it's obviously these guys can come in and make instant impacts. I think the defense is going to be a lot better, but. Angie, what kind of what kind of guys do you think Oregon State needs? I would say, I mean, obviously besides offensive line and defensive line, but besides that, mentality wise or just in general, maybe size, speed. What kind of? I just want to get your opinion because you've been doing this recruiting thing a lot. But what do you think Oregon State needs? Because if they can get guys who can come in and play instantly right away, then obviously it's going to be a lot better. But what do you think that they need? I, I, they just need toughness. You know, I, you go back to looking at some of the, the years that Oregon State had really good defensive teams. I mean, 2000 was obviously an amazing, amazing defensive team. But, you know, you look back into the 2000s, and Oregon State had some really strong defenses. But they had that swagger, and they had that edge, and they were nasty. Mm-hmm. They played mean. And, I, I mean, I don't want to say that Oregon State was soft, but – I mean, they kind of were when you look at them defensively. They didn't have that mental toughness. They didn't have the physical toughness. And that's what I want to see. I want to see – Coach Erickson used to say he wanted guys that would run around like their hair was on fire. Mm-hmm. That's what you want. You want guys that are going to just be full-on aggressive, borderline crazy, you know, just <laughs> out there making hits. And 
I love a defense that has some swagger and just that nasty to them. That you well, know, the Richard Siglers, the Nick Barnetts, yeah, um, Darnell Robinsons of the world. That uh, gosh, I could go on. James Allen. There's there's a lot of these guys that just were mean and tough, and uh, they could. You know, I, I grew up in offense. You know, I loved Walter Payton growing up and, and watching the offense. And But to see a really, really good defense full of swagger, I, that's that's super fun. Right. And, well, and Angie, that's something that, to point out, too, because, yeah, we could have a really good offense, you know, and, and this isn't no, like, Texas Tech or Oklahoma team where you can put up 50 points a game and still win, right, and the opposing team still drop 40 on you, right? Yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Sometimes if your defense just plays bad or even average, you can still win a lot of games. But if I, I just think you look at the, like the Pac-12 championship, right? And you look at that and that game was not, I mean, if you're, if you're an offensive guy like I am, I was like, okay, like, boring. come on. Yeah. Yeah, you, yeah. This is boring. But at the end of the day, to be real, you're like, that's both those teams are playing great defense. Right. And so that's the biggest thing is that if we could just get a defense that, can get a couple stops or can get a couple turnovers, whatever it is. I think I think that's the biggest thing is if as long as we can get guys who come in and understand that, like understand what they're coming into, right? Like you're going to come in right away and compete for a starting spot because like you said earlier in the season, Angie, if I'm Oregon State and I'm the coaches, I'm making sure that nobody's job is secure. You have to earn your spot from the very get-go and it starts right now. Exactly. Exactly. And and you need those guys that, you know, you've talked about it all season long on the podcast of, about the guys that want to be the big guys on campus and showing off their social media. But if they're winning games, they're going to be way cooler. <laughs> the cool guys. <laughs> I know. So, I actually looked at Blitz earlier today and, and there were people saying if I or there's somebody asked if I was going to talk about it again. I think I got my point across finally. But yeah, that that definitely raises my blood pressure when I think about that. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, Oregon State needs guys that are going to just come in and just just know they're good, right? And have that confidence and like, we're going to turn this thing around. Mm-hmm. Just that total belief and uh, buy into the system, buy into, you know, Coach Smith. But I just, I just want to see aggression on the defense. Yeah, I just, I mean, and that's huge. But if you look, I would say if you look across the board, especially with the defense that was, I don't want to say injury that had full, that was full of injury because I don't think it was. But when you really think about it, and Angie, I know you said you were maybe breaking down, you know, your your starters for next season on offense and defense. But if you look across the board, you get someone like Jay Irvine back, right? And I would say that's big. That's super big because I think Jay Irvine is a great player, but he's just been right. He's there's been so many injuries to his shoulders or whatever it is that he hasn't been able to play. But you get a guy like that back on top of, like we said, the transfers that come in, hopefully they pan out. And then on top of that, hopefully you get some young guys who can come in and play right away. But I really don't know if the defense is going to look anything like we saw this season, which I don't know, might be a good thing. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, looking at, you know, the the holes, I mean, really that middle of the defense is what Oregon State needs. Well, and DNs too, I guess that whole front seven um, needs, needs some work. But we did see, you know, some things I really liked from some of those younger linebackers. Yeah. Uh, Angie, let's, uh, let's flip over to offense. Are there any guys that can really come in and make an impact on offense? I don't know exactly all the guys that we got offensively, but like I said, you you would know more than I would. Yeah, you know, there's there's a few that really kind of intrigue me. Um, you know, Oregon State, the second highest rated commit Oregon State has right now on offense is Tron Madison, running back out of Banning, California, signing again this uh, in next next Wednesday, a week and a half from now, um, and we'll be here in January as well. And just a really fast uh, north-south runner. I really like his film. I don't know if he necessarily sees a lot of time just because of the talent in front of him with AP and Jermar, but um, I really like what I see from him. Luke Musgrave out of Bend, um, tight end, and tight end has been an area I think this past couple years that we haven't really seen a ton of production out of. He's big and athletic, 6'6", 235 right now. And just a super athlete. He's uh, lacrosse. He he run or he he's a star lacrosse player for Bend, but uh, is actually going to run track this year to help improve his speed this this spring. So um, I just like his frame. He's also a guy that you know potentially could play defensive end if you need it if need be. Just he's that big, long, long athlete. Um, also on the offense, I I don't I honestly don't know why he didn't get more attention. But Anthony Gould out of West Salem, mm-hmm. small, five ten, one hundred and eighty. 
but he's electric with the ball in, ball in his hands. I think he actually had, I think it was a six touchdown game earlier this season for West Salem, both as a return guy and as a wide receiver slash running back. He's just lightning. And Oregon State has not had a guy like that really since Victor Bolden. Right. And that's, and that's a nice thing too, because you get Trayvon Bradford another year of experience like he had this season. And I think he finally started to break out, but you just start to look at the pieces. You got a transfer quarterback coming in who obviously everyone expects to start. You get Isaiah Hodgins, Jamar Jefferson. If you can sure up the offensive line a little more, you still have Noah Tongiai. Hopefully you get more production out of him, but you get a guy like that to come in as well to, to, really put on the outside and add some speed to the offense. I think the offense can be really good next season. Yeah, I mean, we were really missing that that speed guy this year. And uh, Teron had a, a great season. But, you know, offensive line, there's something kind of fun to talk about, I, I think. And I, I, and I, I think this guy will end up being a beef. But Oregon State did host an uh, official visitor this weekend, transfer. He's going to be a grad transfer from Arizona. He was a starting center for the Wildcats. Nate Eldridge is his name. He was injured this year, and with the new coaching staff, um, I think he kind of got buried on the depth chart after his knee injury. So um, he is a grad transfer, visited uh, this past weekend. But, you know, with Sumner Houston gone, Oregon State needs a center. And then you take a guy that has played for Coach Mahalachek when he was down at Arizona. He could be an instant plug-in-and-go kind of guy. Right, and that, I mean, that would be huge because he has leadership under his belt. And I would say, I don't know if... I'm pretty sure he's played with uh, some pretty good Arizona teams. I can't really – I'm sure he's been there. If he's a grad transfer, then it's, he's going on his fifth year, right? And I don't know how well Arizona's been these past couple of seasons, but I know they've had some success not too long yeah, ago. It'll so. be a fourth year for him. I, oh, I believe fourth he's, year? A, he's played two and then sat out this year. So, yeah, he would have two years left. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that, I mean, that would be huge too. So if you can get him – and it's, it's just the fact that you have depth. And exactly. I, I would say the biggest thing with depth is – it, it forces other players to have competition, right? And I think that's something that Oregon State obviously has to add on is just having guys not feel comfortable in their spots because I think that's what they've had for so long. And there's been some guys on, that are on the roster now that, have like, that are thinking, okay, well, I can't lose my spot because I've been here, I've played long enough. So if that's the case, you bring someone else in who has experience like that. That's what I like on the defense because you bring some younger guys in who can make impacts. You get some transfer guys coming in and, you, and and everything like that. It just raises the competitiveness and it raises so much more on basically what you get out of a player. And I think that's huge. Yeah, yeah there's, it, you know, you look at kind of what's left, I guess, going forward. Um, there's a couple guys I'm really watching. And offensive line, I, I would like to see another prep. My top target right now is guard Siali Liku out of Oakland, California. He has visited already. He was here for the USC game. Um, a lot of a couple schools are recruiting him on the defensive side of the ball. Oregon State likes him as a guard. I would love to see this kid. He's six four three thirty right now. Whoa! Um, yeah, big body, um, really aggressive player. And I know uh, the coaching staff would love to see him um, on the offensive line. Watching him really closely. Um, I'm also watching Miles Tapusoa. Is a he's from uh, he's a Jake JC sorry JC D tackle. Committed to Arizona and uh, snuck up here for a visit this past weekend. Wanted it kept under the radar, um, but he was here. He did pick up an Oregon offer this past week as well, which Oregon kind of went crazy on the offers this past week with the JUCOs. But um, it'll be interesting to see if he takes another trip, if he sticks with Arizona, how Arizona reacts to him taking a trip. Um, I I believe I've I've heard some things about him kind of being kind of an ultimatum commit mm-hmm. now or, or we're moving on kind of thing. So um anxious to talk to him too and hear how his visit went. Yes, that will Angie, I I also wanted to uh bring this up is that and I know it's it's probably ridiculous to bring up, but it's always something just to keep in mind that uh I don't know if we all of a sudden have a pipeline in Nebraska or what, because I don't know if you've seen, but there has been a lot of there's been a handful of guys who are who have decided to leave Nebraska and I'm just saying, and I know that it's it's I don't want to say like a free agency, but I don't, and I don't even know if coaches can really I don't I have no, no idea about any of that if coaches can reach out to players from that from that or at this point, but that's something to keep in mind because I think that maybe you get some guys that have tra- uh, transferred from Nebraska talking to some other guys who want to leave Nebraska. 
I don't know. I don't want to get everyone's hopes up, but I'm just saying that's always something to keep in mind because I know for a fact stuff like that happens. Oh, peer recruiting is huge. It's it, it's absolutely huge. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's that is it's a it's a tactic that you can use. Um, I know, you know, Tristan Jebbia has been a, a big recruiter for Oregon State this year. And, you know, for him coming from a big program like Nebraska, he's able to kind of maybe tell these guys, hey, I've been here. This, but this is what you know Oregon State's offering, right. and this is what I've I've found here to be true. So, um, yeah, completely. Um, we're seeing lots of decommitments right now, too, across the board. And this is this is where it gets kind of interesting, right? Because lots of the you know it's it's kind of this little pecking order when you start looking at at, at recruiting. And so you have some of these the big name schools, the the Oklahomas, the Alabamas, et cetera, of the world, and they they load up on all these commits, right? They get all these commitments. Well, then, but they're still committing other guys that might they might have higher up on their board. Well, then let's say those guys commit. Well, then they have to make some room for them. So they cut some guys loose. So that's where you'll see the, you know, Hey, I'm just opening up my recruitment kind of thing. Um, No hard feelings. Love my, you know, love the coaches at Alabama, for example, but just opening things up. Right. Well, that tells me either a, your grades aren't good or B Nebraska got somebody that they ranked higher than you. And now you are looking for a home. So that whole kind of um, domino effect starts taking place. So you have that happening right now. So you have lots of guys kind of, you know, you'll see on social media, I'm opening things up. So then that gives Oregon State and some other schools a chance to kind of maybe reevaluate some things. And that will happen again then in January because then you have the signing period. So you have all these guys that sign. But some of these guys might be told by the school, hey, wait until February to sign. Yeah. Well, and- so they're still, you know, if I'm a if I'm a recruit and somebody says, "Yeah, we don't want you to sign right now in December. We want you to wait until February." That tells me that I am not high on their list. Right, and I, and and I'm not a priority. Exactly. So, you know, that starts opening things up. Um, you know, then you have the, you know, the night before signing day basically when when schools are kind of starting to scramble like, "Oh, I mean, USC last year, a couple of their running back commits, you know, went elsewhere, so then they had a spot to go offer Jamar Jefferson. So those kind of dominoes start falling. So it, it works both for the or for Beavers' advantage, but it also can be to their detriment as well. So um, it's it's just intriguing. It's intriguing to watch it all kind of shake out and what happens. Right. Well, uh, Angie, thank you for that breakdown. But uh, is it time for some damn questions? It is time for damn questions. Damn Questions are brought to you by Body of Health Chiropractic and Wellness Center. Dr. Jason Young has been the chiropractor for Oregon State Athletics since 2011. Go to yourbodyofhealth.com for more information. Okay, Marcus, I have, I'm going to start things off. I have one for you. All right, let's hear it. And this, this one comes from Blitz from JP. And JP, as you guys know, JP's weekly walk-off, and he's doing um, the weekly buzzer beater now covering women's basketball. So, um, lots of amazing stuff from JP, but JP asks a question. So he talks about you. Um, we we kind of talked about it, about how you really feel about the cool guys on campus and going <laughs> to parties and all that. Yeah. But he wants to know, in short, how widespread is the cancer of complacency that Coach Smith has to eradicate? Uh, I mean, I would say it's it's like this anywhere, really. I mean, there's going to be guys who are obviously worried about their image and partying more than winning football games. It happens everywhere, but. I wouldn't say it's too it's too widespread. I would say there's probably, you know, maybe a handful of 10 to 15 guys that really 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 focus in on that rather than winning. But I mean, like I said, it happens everywhere. I j- it just makes me mad because I would I feel like at a lot of other places that it happens, it's because they win and then from there they want to be big deals like that. But I wouldn't say it's too big that coach uh that coach Smith has to worry about. It's just it's just trying to find the the guys who focus in on it more that actually play, I should say, rather than, so, you know. Well, do you think it's something that was a younger thing? Is it an older guy thing? I would say it's an older guy thing, unfortunately. Guy? Okay. unfortunately. I mean, I know the older guys are supposed to be the ones that, you know, show the way for the younger guys. But when you really look at it, it's more of the older guys, in my opinion. But... Like I said, it happens everywhere. So I don't want to have that be the main focus. I mean, let's be let's let's keep it a hundred percent real. The, this football team is bad right now, and until yeah. you know, and so obviously we can pick them apart with, you know, it's it's off field stuff, it's whatever. But let, I mean, like I said, let's be real. It's off season work right now that they have to focus on. They have to focus on getting themselves better. I mean, keeping their focus on winning football games because at the end of the day, that's what it is, and. Uh, Brandon Sprague actually hopped on is going to hop on our podcast, Angie, um, 
after the damn questions. And I think he hits on some of this as well. But, I mean, some of it's coaching, some of it's on the players, but it's just the feeling of, okay, the first year is done under the belt, right? It was a bad season. The expectations that we set, the expectations that the coaches set, they might be different, but regardless, they didn't meet, we, they didn't meet them regardless. So, um, just I'd say give it another. I don't want to say give it another year, but it's just gonna be interesting to see how they grow and see who focuses more on what really matters compared to what doesn't matter. Perfect, perfect. I, I have another one here. Here for the Beavers says I will be listening to the end. I've heard you guys doubt that. Thank you, here for the Beavers. <laughs> yeah, for yeah. Listening. Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, okay, so what's the starting O line or top seven eight guys look like? So. This is this is what I'm thinking, and I, I wrote this down before the pod today. Well, you have Brandell Lavaca back, right? Um, Kipper, I think Kipper. We see Brandon Kipper play. Uh, he saw some time this year, but still was able to redshirt. Jake Levengood saw time. We will see him uh, in that mix. I also uh, think we see Brock Wells fry, and then you have a couple new guys with with Gray and Vanderland. Vanderland is that uh, JC commit that. Um, just committed right on at Civil War Day. And then, like I said earlier, I'm watching Eldridge, Nate Eldridge, because he is the type of player that could really just come in and become the starting center, boom, right off the bat. So there's eight. So there's eight guys right there that I'm kind of watching and kind of have penciled in as, as guys to watch that could be your starting lineup coming into uh, next season. Perfect. Angie, I have a question by our own body of health. Thank you, by the way, for the uh, sponsorship. You're the man. Um this says, question for me, in your experience, what is the right things players should be doing during the offseason if they want to be better? First of all, it's all about, obviously, what kind of work you put in and your commitment, just like anything in, else in life that you want to do. But if I'm these players, I'm really focusing on, and this is the big thing, when I say watch film, Angel, we've talked about this, it's not just staring at a screen and saying, okay, this guy's I watch film. Right, this guy's running yeah. a wheel route, so he's going to run a wheel route. It's understanding that, okay, say this guy is – you know, in the slot, we've watched a hundred times exactly what he does, but there's one chance that he's going to, or not one chance, but he, he runs a wheel route eventually, right? And I think that's a big thing. And I always, I know it's the same thing with like the players being cool. These wheel routes drive me insane because they happen <laughs> all the time. But that's the thing. So when you're, when you're watching film and breaking it down, you have to understand tendencies. You have to watch exactly the formation of the offense is in. This is why you have to be a student of the game. You can't just go out there and be an athlete, especially if you're a defensive guy, right? I think it's I think it's a lot better for offensive guys because sometimes you could just kind of give someone the ball and all they have to do is run like a hitch and then they, they'll break three or four tackles and run 50 yards for a touchdown. But defensively, you have to understand tendencies of offensive guys, how everything is. So, one, they have to understand how to watch film and break down the film, right? That's what they should be doing every day um, to get better. And then physically, they just have to be – they. They have to take it upon themselves. You're going to have your own workouts that coaches give you. And so you're going to have obviously come in and that six or seven, whenever, and work out as a team. But that's where you put it all upon yourself. A good, a great story I love to hear and love to tell people is that when I first got to Oregon State, I asked Storm Woods, I was like, hey, Storm, you know, I want to be, I want to be one of the best Oregon State has or has ever had. And a lot of guys obviously say that. He said, I said the same thing, right? But there's only certain guys who really push themselves to a certain level that make it that make themselves that much better. And he was like a perfect example is Brandon Cooks. Mm -hmm. So Cooks came in with with obviously all the talent in the world, and he knew that. But if you have that much talent, a lot of guys just take their foot off the gas and say, "Okay, I'm just going to stay healthy, try to put up big numbers." But Storm and Storm and Brandon Cooks, obviously, as a lot of people know, they were they're still best friends to this day. And he told me he was like, "Listen, man, the thing with him." is that he forced himself to be good. He mm -hmm. forced himself. So every day he said he would wake up and he would hate it because they were roommates, but he'd wake, he'd, he'd call Storm every morning at 4.30 in the morning and say, hey, Storm, let's go to the field. Come on, let's go to the field, let's go to the field, let's go to the field. And that's the things that they need. They need those kind of players that want to come in, want to make these instant impacts and really be the best players because now you look at Brandon and he's breaking these NFL records for you know, most consecutive seasons with three different teams or whatever record it was for a thousand yards, right? And that's the reason why he makes the millions of dollars is because he wants to put it upon himself to get better. So it's well, another story, another prime example. Brandon was a great one, but James James Rogers, yeah, that was exactly. a guy that didn't come out as a four star. You know, he was a two star. 
not many, you know, many offers at all. I think he had Texas State um, when he chose Oregon State. Um, but that guy, I have never seen a work ethic before before him like that. Yeah. It was every day after practice, grinding. You know, Brandon would go to the would they'd go to the volleyball sand volleyball courts just to run in the sand. Yeah, just to, you know, train that much harder. And you're right, that kind of drive is is rare. But that Oregon State needs a guy like that. Well, and that's that's just the biggest thing is you just find guys who put it, who take it upon themselves because the coaches are gonna basically you have to put it like this: coaches are gonna get you to the to the standard that you need to be to be a college football player. And then you have to put it upon yourself to get even better, right? And that, I mean, realistically, that's just how it is. So, um, Angie, Good stuff. do you have one last, you want to do one more question? I do. I, there's there's a couple really good ones, both on Twitter and on Blitz, asking about um, the whole Ed Ray, Larry Scott, Pac-12 thing. And I know that Brandon's going to talk about that. So mm-hmm. um, we're going to leave that for Brandon. And you, but I want to, here's a, here's a good one. And it's, it's still a little early, but Buxton 89, he says that, first of all, he says he never misses a podcast. So thank you or she Buxton 89. Thank you for listening. Um, and he enjoys every minute of Marcus's rant. There you go. Marcus. <laughs> you got, no, you don't have any haters right now. Um, anyway, these could be too early, but how does this current staff compare to the two previous staff? As far as recruiters go, um, who do we feel are the best recruiters on the current staff? Um, and then which current staff member, if any, has surprised you with their ability to recruit? Um, I mean, I, I'll jump in. You know, it, it's a different – the staff's way different than than last than Gary Anderson's staff as far as recruiters. Um, I, you know, it's hard to, to tell completely, but this staff is really going after um, a certain type of player. They're, they're intelligent. You can tell by these guys. They're not um, guys that are going to be borderline qualifiers. These guys, several of them have uh, Ivy League offers or they have um, service academy offers. So um, they're intelligent. They want guys that will be able to come in and learn the system quickly. They want hard workers, uh, maybe some chips on their shoulder. And then they're they're also looking for a lot of length. They want the long, uh, rangy athletes that they can, you know, potentially play several positions, whether that be tight end, defensive end, offensive tackle. Um, there's that group of guys that they're really looking at best recruiter Petrie we hear coach Petrie's name a lot Um, and coach Smith I think does a pretty good job selling his vision these guys aren't raw raw hype sales salesy guys Um, I I mean I think that comes across they're pretty authentic they're telling you like it is Um, I surprise I'm going to go with Mahalachek right now, but I really do think he's going to close out really strong uh, down the down the stretch. Just because I think he is he is probably one of the strongest coaches on this staff, if not the strongest, and has a, a great reputation for being an offensive line coach. I'm, I'm just waiting waiting for him to get uh, a few more guys under his belt. Well, perfect, Angie. That's some good stuff. I, uh, great questions. I, I really like them. And like I said, the Larry Scott Pac-12. I, I have some opinions on it, and maybe we talk about that um, in another episode. But um, I, I think Brandon has some good things that he'll he'll discuss as well. Yes. So, Angie, that's going to wrap it up for you and I. But uh, I'm going to flip over, bring Brandon on real quick, and then we're kind of we're going to get his thoughts and everything like that. So, uh, Angie, do you want? I, I have I have one thing that I'm going to yeah. I'm going to put out there because it starts on Wednesday, so we're a couple days early. But we are uh, Beaver Blitz is running a promo before signing day. So it uh, starts Wednesday the 12th and it runs through the 19th. So you get one week, but it is a buy one month, get one month free. Ooh, can't so beat that deal. A big promo going on just to get you ready for signing day. That'll actually get you the two months. So you'll you'll buy one month, but it'll get you all, our, our, all of our coverage right into uh, February signing day. So um, it's going to be a, a great promo that we'll be running. And that's it as far as promos go for us. Perfect. Well, everybody go hop on that if you have not. Um, if you guys enjoy hearing my rants, I think I rant in some articles. I'm not too sure. but uh, You do, and sometimes on the lo- in the lodge you'll, you'll give your, your two cents. Every it's once always in a while. Great. Every <laughs> once in a while. But, Angie, thank you for hopping on. I know you're busy. But uh, we are going to flip over to me and Spreg now, or Spreg and I, I guess I should say. Um, Angie, we hope you have a good day. Hey, you too. We'll be back next week. Sprague, my man. We've been missing you on this damn podcast. I appreciate you being on. I don't think you've been missing me. Uh, I'm very proud of you. 
And Angie continues to grind away as well. You guys are killing it at Blitz. And uh, I'm sad that I can't do it anymore, but the schedule this year was too crazy for me for football season. So, you know what? I think you guys have been doing a good job, but thank you for uh, inviting me back for another round. I haven't done this in quite a while. Exactly. We uh, Well, we appreciate it, my man. So, I kind of just wanted to ask you your thoughts on this season. I know that you know anyone who's been listening to the damn podcast over the years knows that you're the one who has been a part of it, obviously. I don't mm-hmm. know if you started it. I think you did. I did start it, yeah. Dang, I did. I used to do one. I did one a long time ago when I worked for Comcast Sportsnet before they changed their name to whatever the F they are now. <laughs> they used to just be CSNNW, and yeah. I did one when I was the beat reporter for Oregon State then. And then when I came here to the fan, I didn't do it, and then I started it back up with Alex Crawford. We did what he called the Beavcast, mm-hmm. and then... He he basically stopped doing it, and I thought, you know, I really liked Angie. She's great to work with. She's cool. I think they do a great job at Blitz. There's probably a good market for people that like Oregon State football or care about the athletic programs uh, to start it. So I, I hit her up, and we agreed to start the damn podcast. Man, that's big time. Well, Sprague, we I kind of just wanted to get your thoughts, so... First of all, overall, I just wanted to get your kind of your takeaways from the season about this Oregon State team. I know it was a little rough, but I don't know if you saw <laughs> they won two games. <laughs> I, I think a little rough is putting it very nicely, but right. okay. I don't know if you saw like, any bright spots or kind of stuff that you that you haven't seen in quite some time with this Oregon State team. So well, I kind of just want to get your takeaways. Yeah, I mean, I think you have you do have bright spots. I think you'd be stupid to not recognize what they are. It's Jamar Jefferson, Pac-12 freshman, offensive freshman player of the year. Um, setting a school record for freshman rushing yards. I thought Isaiah Hodgins really stepped up and started to show why he was a four-star coming in. Um, Part of that is probably an indictment of the previous coaching staff of being so inept offensively that it was hard for him to ever be noticed. I thought Bradford really stepped up this year and showed he could be kind of that that outsider slot guy, speed receiver that you need to combo with a 6'4", 6'5", wide receiver like Isaiah Hodgins. Uh, the offensive game planning. I mean, look, they they weren't perfect by any means. They had games like Arizona and Cal, uh, the the Civil War, where they just looked too inept. I mm-hmm. mean, it was embarrassing how bad they were. Right. But my expectations were different, and so from what I expected for the season versus what I saw, I took away some positives, and and obviously the ones I listed. But also, just how about the running attack? Right. Uh, the fact that they were able to be so successful on the ground without really having a consistent starting quarterback, that was something that I thought was really encouraging. I thought it was a great debut for Brian Lingren and Jonathan Smith for them in year one offensively, and I'm really curious what they're going to build upon. Uh, but that that was really it. There were no other positives for me. <laughs> I thought special teams was garbage. I right. thought the defense was the worst I've ever seen in Oregon State football history. Uh, but to say there's no pot as you, uh, positives you can take away from a two-win season, I, th- I think that's a bit of a stretch. Right, and I think you know there are the the offense would be the most positive thing for me, kind of same as you said. But I mean the defense, my man, it was you're right. It's it was historically bad, and it's interesting to me because I feel like they have some they have some playmakers. I mean Hamika Rashid is a good is a good player. So is uh, Jalen Moore, but. I just don't like. I just don't understand how they could really a defense can be that bad because mm-hmm. I think UConn was the only one that was worse, and that's like that's embarrassing, obviously. But do you think like what do you think they have to do? Because for me, I just look at it from a player. I'm like, listen, if they're not going to put in the work in the off season, like want to be better, then they're not going to be better. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people want to say it's either the the defensive coordinator, the defensive coaches, or sometimes just the players but kind of what do you, like what do you think they need to do to get improve uh well <laughs> i know that's a lot that's improve to what level i think <laughs> is what i would first ask you but look this is my thing because i've had beaver fan and there's plenty of beaver fans that just don't like me they think i'm too negative about the team that i don't i don't kiss the program's ass enough like there's a plenty of those kind of people out there and those people whatever i, I don't care um I would ask everybody, though, what was your expectation for them defensively mm-hmm. versus what they showed you? Because my expectation wasn't great, right? and they were worse than I thought they would be. <laughs> so I think the starting point is not only identifying what you said, the hard workers in the room, the guys who say, you know, that was inexcusable, we've got to change it. I think you have to have these transfer players defensively hit. Um, what was it? Gums and uh, is it Roberts? Yeah, the yeah Avery Roberts. Roberts. 
You need both of those guys. They have to hit. You have to be healthy going into next year. You can't have another year where you miss a David Morris for mm-hmm. basically the entire season. Actually, I think he missed the whole season. Um, and, you know, a lot of this, too, is on Tibisar. Right. Uh, Tibisar makes more than Brian Lindgren. He makes $550,000 a year, which is pretty decent at Oregon State. And I, I am, I'm, I'm going to stay optimistic that he can change it and get it better from where it was. Uh, but I said this, and some people didn't agree, but I don't know why he wouldn't maybe be on a little bit of a hot seat for me. Mm-hmm. I know that might be stretching it in year two and you know, year one. Well, they had injuries, and what did you expect? I didn't expect him to be maybe the second worst defense in all of college football. Right. Uh, counting all the Power Five conference, not just Power Five, but all the conferences, by the way. I didn't expect that. And to be that inept, that's a coaching problem as well. You can't just blame it on injuries. You've got to see growth and development. And quite frankly, outside of the second half of Colorado, I don't think we had one game that you saw where you felt that way. Yeah. Um, so for me, it, it's just a combination of things. You have to have, you have to recruit well, which I know right now they're kind of at the bottom of the conference, but that's kind of what they've always been. You need these recruits, uh, these transfer players to hit really well. And you need to look in the mirror and you need to identify what didn't work and what do you need to change coaching-wise because if you have another year like that, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sorry, I will have no problem with them making a change defensively. That was, and I really mean this, as bad as the 90s were, that was the worst defense I've ever seen from Morgan State ever. <laughs> See, I'm, is, I'm not just saying that right. to say it. I really believe that was the worst defense I've ever seen them have. Right, and so... Say come next season or come this off season right now, what like what do you think the mentality for Coach Schmidt should be? Said so, you know does he have to harp on maybe the coaches more? Does he have to harp on the players more or just a combination of both? Because you know I just know for a fact that there was times in the off season with the last coaching staff where you know after we beat the Ducks they were like okay well like we're already exactly where we need to be so we just need to keep doing exactly what we're doing. And then obviously the se- the that next season came and it was did, just... did you players because you were I know you left like right after that but do you think all the players felt the same way oh, though absolutely. like they win and okay now we know what we need to do versus well guys we still won only four games we need to work and improve here and there see and that's what I wanted the mindset to be but it wasn't you know we kind of felt like we were on top of the mountain and and that's unfortunate because we only won four games right and it was a it was a bad Oregon team that we beat. And even you did then, Oregon a favor. They wanted that guy fired, and right. you beat him, so they had to fire him. Right, and then so from there, it was kind <clears> of <throat> just like a, we thought we were on top of the world already. You know, we won, what, three conference games, and which isn't good. I mean, let's be real. That's not good, but it was just that our expectations have been so low at Oregon State lately that it's like, I feel like any positive thing that we can grasp onto, we we hold on to that for dear life. And maybe that maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing. I don't know, but... What would you think this mindset should be for Coach Smith? Because I know he's a nice guy, but I mean, at some point you have to really put down the hammer and be like, okay, well, if this guy is not going to get it done, say he's been a starter since, you know, however long, if he's just not getting the job done, you have to bench a guy like that. Well, I I don't think, you know, I know Jonathan Smith kind of comes from the Riley, Chris Peterson tree of uh, nice, quiet guys, Mm -hmm. and I know he can come off that way. You know, I know somebody within that uh, athletic department that told me, you know, that perception's funny because behind the scenes he is a grinder who yeah. is super competitive and gets so angry every time they lose. And that was the thing about Riley as well. It was the same thing. Like people mm-hmm. thought, well, all right, like Mike Riley, this nice older guy. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that guy was so competitive and angry when they lost that I always found it funny that people thought he didn't care enough. It's mm-hmm. like you don't know anything. You're sitting from your freaking couch eating potato chips, acting like you know who somebody is. I think Jonathan Smith's the same way. Yeah. I really do. I think he is a I think he's gonna evaluate this season and I, I really don't think he took any positives away. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you go to your post game press conference after getting blown out in your civil war and your uh your opinion of the season is uh disappointing and not living up to expectation, why is that not the the norm for everybody else that roots for this football team? Right. Right? If the coach is holding you to a higher standard than two wins, everybody else should. Mm-hmm. I get into this with listeners sometimes if we talk about Oregon State and it's, well, yeah, it's a slow bill. You got two wins. It's, it, you know, we beat Colorado. Okay, great. But if the coach thinks it's disappointing, why are you not disappointed? Yeah. Right? Like he's holding it to a higher standard than you. And that doesn't make any sense to me. Their over under was two and a half wins. They hit the under. 
And I'm sorry, if Vegas thinks you're a certain number and you don't beat that number, you were a disappointing season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm glad Jonathan Smith is the head coach of this program. I'm not going to go as far as proclaim that he was the right hire. Mm-hmm. I think you have to allow time to play yeah, that out. Exactly. Um, but overall, man, he was disappointed, which made me feel more encouraged about the future. And now it's just about going and getting and identifying the right players that this program needs to get back to bowl respectability mm-hmm. and Pac-12 respectability. You have to identify that you are in the gutter right now. I think he does. And did you get the right transfer quarterback? Can Tyjon Lindsey live up to his label as a four or five star type wide receiver? And can you get better defensively? If more than half those things happen, I really do believe this. I think Oregon State could be close to a bowl team next year. Mm -hmm. And I believe that because I buy into what the coach is selling. I buy into the kids he identified to come transfer into the program. And even if your defense doesn't take this huge, gigantic leap, I feel like if you got the right quarterback, your offense is going to be good enough to outscore a lot of teams. And even if you're in a Texas Tech, like game where it's 55 to 50 mm-hmm. doesn't matter to me a win is a win absolutely and so I, I i believe in the coaching staff i think he is going to identify the right things in the off season and uh it, it's just about trusting the process i know that's cliche to say but if you're a beaver fan i don't know what else you have to do exactly and i would say before i get you out of here sprague is you know a lot of the times this season i would say the defense just has to play like Instead of playing horrible, they just have to play bad, and that's I think, and I think that's that's hard to say, and it yeah. sucks to say, but it's true. You know, there's a couple of those games where it's like if they just played bad, right, right, and they didn't just play absolutely terrible, then I think Oregon State could have won at least, you know, or at least made it more respectable. Well, you're doing the podcast all year. You're you're on Blitz, you know, doing your pieces and on video. What was the thought of Tibisar? And, and I, I I'm I'm going off of. Because Beaver fans I know in my life are so much different than Beaver fan I know via social media. Right. Right? Like, Beaver fan I know in my life, if I'm being frank, they look at the program and quite frankly say, this is pathetic. We're trash. We're terrible. (laughs) Beaver fan on social media is not use your real name, tell you you're a moron because you're negative about the program guy. That's not realistic to me. That is just somebody who's miserable in their life using social media as an outlet. Mm. So I'm curious what the reaction was, because I know a few people at Blitz, and I've had conversations with them in the past, like years ago, about the program and what they can do. What was the feel on Tibisar? I, I would say the feeling is you maybe see the light at the end of the tunnel, right? But I, for me, I always put it on the players. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the difference, because I get it, right? If if there if there's a bad coaching scheme, then it's a bad coaching scheme. Right. But I always look at it as there's been... And I won't say a name, but there was one player who I'm not kidding got beat on a wheel route every single game. Mm-hmm. It was the exact same player in every single game. Why can't you say the name? Just because it's out. It's out of you know. You worry about him tweeting you? No, and I'm not worried about a bunch of retweets. Me. Like, oh, no, Marcus got burned. No, it's not like that. I don't care. I don't really care about that. Come on, man. But, but, I've, okay. I've taken your mindset. Sure, sure, sure. But let me follow that up though. I see what you're saying, and and there's no doubt. I think sometimes with play calling and coaching. We just look at the coaches too often instead mm-hmm. of saying, hey, maybe the players are not executing very well. Right. But the thing with me on Tibisar and defense is, I did you feel like you saw any growth? No, not at all. So like, like how much of that is on the coaching staff? Like you're that right. player you're not naming that got beat on a wheel route. That's inexcusable. And a lot of that is on the player. Like be yeah. focused and identify what your weaknesses are, right? But how much of that also translates to the coaching staff of sitting in film that. and saying, mm-hmm. dude, stop being a moron. Yeah. He's running a wheel route because you get beat on it every time. Yeah, exactly. It, it, that's where I come from, too, is like, I see what you're saying, and you're the, you're the former player, so I agree with where you're coming from. But I also see these guys that make anywhere from a half million to a million in college football, and I'm like... Yeah, and, and just to teach someone that, okay... You, you gotta make sure they learn, yeah, right? Exactly. So, I mean, Sprague, I what? appreciate it, my man. I appreciate you coming in here. I think I think a little too often, sometimes I maybe uh, put on my orange and black glasses a little too much. No, look, th- I, I I know how I come across. I come across as somebody who people perceive as pessimistic. Right. I'm sorry. I just like to tell the truth. Yeah, and sometimes exactly. people don't want to hear the truth. So some people are going to be okay with it, and other people are going to be like, oh, he's a too negative a Beaver fan. That's ridiculous, man. 
I've been in that stadium in freezing cold rain with orange and black on like everybody else (laughs) and walked out with my pants soaking wet and had to drive home in my underwear. (laughs) But because I don't like where the program is, I'm going to tell you. Yeah. And if they're great, I'm going to come out and be like, that was amazing. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I I differed on the Ohio State game from a lot of people. But the Colorado game, I opened my show up and I was like, this is great. Yeah. Could they win two more games this year? Could they build off that? Now they didn't. But I just, I, I don't like to ride the everything is blue skies and sunny mm-hmm. skies. Like everything's going to be okay. Yes, because sometimes you need to be realistic. And right now, unfortunately... Our program is in a sad state. Uh, I'm hopeful the coach can get out of it. I'm still not sure how to feel about the athletic director. I mean, I don't really know <laughs> what he's done since he's gotten there. Yeah. And I know he's got a lot to work with at Oregon State, so it's trying to get funding for that stadium. And our president is an asshat right now. He's mm. representing the university in a poor way. And if people don't think that's true, then I don't know what to tell you. Because as much as you may not like it, football is a lifeblood of a lot of colleges and the success that they have. It's not just about wins and losses in sports. It's about how can you help yourself financially? How can you make your institution better? And sadly, because he's at the bottom of the rung in the Pac-12, him you know, propping up Larry Scott as the Pac-12 commissioner is a terrible look. Yeah, You need is. to identify that your network, your program, your your conference is in a terrible state right now. And you coming out and trying to call fake news and control the media narrative, get the F out of here, bro. You're never going to control the media narrative. Right. Uh, as long as this country remains the way that it is, <laughs> you can scream fake news to the high heavens and it ain't going to change anything. So I, I just think there's some positives you obviously could take away. But I'm also one of those guys that I paid money to go to that school. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm not one of those, well, I paid money. But now I'm still beholden to you. I have to pay more money. No, screw that. Yeah. I paid a lot of money to go to that institution. And I feel like I need to voice how a lot of people feel. Because, again, I think there's a difference between social media Beaver fan and real life Beaver fan. And it's funny how different they can seem to me at times. So yeah. I know I come across maybe pessimistic. That's just kind of my personality type, though, is I'm going to be really honest with you. And if you think I'm being negative you're probably being too optimistic about things. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for allowing me to be on here. Hey, man. I've we missed it. it. I miss talking to Angie. Um, and you're killing it. You're doing a great kick-ass job. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of the work you guys have been putting in all year. I think I only didn't listen to like two of them. I listened to most of them. And uh, yeah, just keep grinding and keep doing your thing, man. You're still young in this industry and you have a lot to provide, especially with the the uh, being an ex-player. Hey, I appreciate that, man. I know all these listeners are going to appreciate it. So, everybody, thank you guys for listening to this little, uh, this little one-on-one with Sprague, man. I know all of them. I I wouldn't say all of them because I know some of them probably don't like listening to me either. But I'm, I'm sure that, <laughs> that uh, look, that's just going to happen in life. Is. You're not going to be liked by everybody. Yeah. Nothing you can do about that. Well, Sprague, we appreciate it, my man. Thanks for having me on, man. Perfect. Next week, thank you, guys.